Hello and welcome back. This is Charles, and you're listening to the Bring It All Back Home podcast. Podcast about South Jersey gear, including analog and digital, as well as creative projects, live chats from around the world. And yet today's uh, podcast is going to be looking back at the OM1, the Olympus OM1, as well as the Zoico lens, the 50mm 1.4. So yeah, this is kind of a look back at uh, a classic analog combo. So stay tuned and see if uh, this one will uh, be the right camera for you. My journey with the Olympus OM-1 uh, began quite a long time ago. I uh, I purchased mine through eBay, early eBay days. Uh, this would have been hmm, 2005. Uh, I mentioned in an earlier podcast that what kind of brought me into the Olympus world, or really just the uh, going back to analog cameras, um, was a inspirational photo that Kyle Cassidy had posted back then on Live Journal. It was just a simple portrait using a wide open setting on his lens. And at that time, I had been coming from really a long, long gap uh, between getting interested in cameras. I really had been on another ton of journey. Uh, the previous, oh, Easily the previous 15 years, I uh, was more on a writing kick, trying to see if I could scramble together some kind of story or novella or possibly even a full-length novel. And uh, photography was really uh, on the on the uh, on a la- on the outside of my imagination. I just didn't see that as my journey at the time. It was uh, something for my good friends, something that other people did, you know. Um, that wasn't my gig, as it were. And uh, I think my hobby at that time, if I wasn't writing, was dabbling with um, home recording, uh, just playing around with the early days of home recording. Uh, that was uh, a long, long tangent of just, you know, when I would step away from writing, I thought I would it would be fun to practice getting my hands wet with uh, really early versions of recording software, super early versions of uh, used Apple computers, and some vintage gear, kind of going back to that last episode uh, that I had managed to come across uh, and uh, used to uh, mess around with. So now it's 2005, and this interesting photo that finally, you know, just set a little light bulb off in my head, uh, which was the what we now would call on our iPhones the portrait mode. Portrait mode effect. Yeah, and I think uh, at that time, 2005, um, I was really interested suddenly in learning a little bit more about photography. Uh, I had just stepped away from it for so long. And um, I, you know, there were some really strong basic things that I just never had to learn. I was coming from... You know, my earliest years coming from a kind of a, a rangefinder Kanika that the C35 that it didn't even encourage me to get into manual settings. Uh, kind of had this built-in meter that would pretty much just assign the the correct exposure for you. 
and lovely camera, wonderful lens too. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I had some uh, very, very happy uh, accents with that camera going way back to when I first purchased it. Uh, I used to shoot slide film with it. Uh, shot a lot of uh, a lot of slide film. Yeah, a lot of ectochrome and and. Um, one or two uh, roles, I guess, with black and white during my high school photography class when we were developing and printing ourselves. So it gave me an appreciation, the previous camera, of you know how cool photography is and how much fun it was. And, and I got my hands uh, literally wet in the darkroom for a little bit. But not having a manual camera and not having a removable lens really slowed down uh, so many areas of photography for me and yeah with that exception for a couple of months playing around with a medium format Yashica where I did have to use them I think I had a built-in meter and I did have to kind of line it up to make sure I was getting a proper exposure I still didn't really understand so many of the basics other than I think I had a grasp of what film to use you know that, that sort of stuck with me so now it's 2005 and I'm looking at this sort of basically this portrait mode, this bokeh look uh, from uh, Kyle's photo. And he had listed, yeah, I'm using this camera with this lens at this aperture, this f-stop. So I kind of like started there, got on eBay. And I think what I was doing was looking around at the lens. So I think I was probably just typing in 50 millimeter 1.4 into eBay. And obviously a bunch of different things were popping up. I'm pretty sure that's how the journey began. Just simply typing in 50 millimeter 1.4. And maybe somewhere in between actually landing the uh, auction, I had most likely had uh, used Google a little bit. And... But to, but to be totally honest, I really don't remember how I completely landed on an OM-1. I'm guessing it may have just been an auction or two where I saw an OM-1 listed, listed with its with a 50. Uh, and I may have, you know, switched over to a wiki page about the OM-1. Um, and, and most likely that's how it just how it happened. So I found an OM-1 listed. Uh, it was, I still remember this very well. It was listed from a Las Vegas pawn shop. No description whatsoever about the functionality, I believe, but it was a terrific uh, kind of buy it now price, I thought at the time. I think it was like maybe under $50, uh, including the lens, which is the more pro lens, the 51.4. The camera was marvelously beat up looking. It was a black version of the OM-1. And whoever had used it before had really, really used it. There was this uh, terrific uh, gold appearance to the corners and the bottom. Uh, and I later asked Kyle, what the heck was that? He's called, you know, yeah, it's called brassing. It's, a, it's, it's good. It's good to, good to see that, you know, somebody really used this camera. So it wasn't so much scratched up as much as the black paint had worn away in the areas where this photographer or photographers before me had uh, had really used this guy. So it's 2005 and this camera was most likely from the early 70s. Of course, when the OM-1 launched, it was probably one of the originals. 
because they've been used so much. Uh, and that's, of course, just a guess. Uh, but yeah, the original OM, original OM1. Um, so I got it. I got my first Olympus, got my first camera. And really, with you know one or two vague exceptions, it was the first truly manual camera that I could learn how to use uh, with, of course, a removable lens, like a true SLR, uh, where I could eventually start applying different, maybe different OM lenses. And that really excited me too, the idea of applying different lenses. As I had mentioned, the previous two cameras that I used, the one I'd used for a very long time, the little uh, rangefinder uh, Konica or Konica, however you say it, that had a non-removable lens. And the short-lived medium format, you know, that guy, the uh, the Ashika, um, what was it, the 128G or something? You know, that guy also had a non-removable lens. So I was extremely excited about trying use different lenses that seemed like a miracle to me wow i could get a telephoto i could get a zoom maybe even try a wide angle um so i reached out to kyle one more time I'm like yeah i got this brand new camera i got this olympus om1 uh he was very thrilled for me he's like oh yeah so supposedly has these just great lenses uh they've been known for terrific uh lenses uh, throughout the years uh you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it and I'm like yeah man i can't wait to get some more lenses he's like whoa 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 hold on hold on um hold off on getting more lenses uh he's like let me just give you a little bit of a advice a little bit of a tip get to know the get to know the lens you have on there right now get to know that one Explore that one. Get to really know that lens. So hold off a bit. Don't just jump into multiple lenses. And it turned out to be great advice. You know, I I, I ended up never getting another lens for the OM-1. Uh, and yes, I did get to know that 50 millimeter pretty well. I was... Uh, I was very comfortable with it. I, I got to know the framing of it. I got to know the look. Um, and what I did was, of course, just start, start shooting completely wide open. So that was my first task. I wanted to shoot at 1.4, of course, for every shot. <laughs> you know, like, give me that portrait mode effect, even though that term wasn't used at the time. Um, and I'm not even sure if I knew the term bokeh or not. I just knew I wanted that 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 separation, that uh, that sharpness and, and out of focus uh, area behind it. Uh, so my workflow with the Olympus OM-1 with its uh, classic semi-pro lens, the 1.4 version of the 50, my process was pretty simple. I, at uh, the time, was living literally down the street from a Target, uh, which at which at 2005 still used to develop film right in the store. They literally had a little lab. They had, a, I guess, what possibly a Nuritsu scanner type deal. And you could just drop off the film, come back in an hour or two, whatever it was. Uh, and this was early days. So you could get your photos back. Uh, you could get your prints, get your film developed. And at that time, it was always, it was, you know, of course, it was just C41 film, you know, so typically color film. And then you would get a CD get a CD with it of your images scanned and they were scanned like 
really low resolution. I think each, I don't think I had a single scan that was uh, at least one megabyte. I think most of my scans were typically, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred kilobyte scans. Uh, yeah, but, but the convenience factor was phenomenally cool. It was just so nice. I could literally just finish my roll, uh, ride my bike up the street, walk in there, drop off my film, come back in a little bit, and then uh, have my photos right there. The first discovery I made on the first couple of rolls uh, had to do with, well, when you shoot at 1.4, that's a really narrow depth of field. Incredibly narrow. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, well, okay, uh, is it me? Like, do I... Do I not know how to manually focus? And then it became, okay, no, wait, no, I, I am manually focusing, okay. But, uh, yeah, shooting at 1.4, you're, you're really still going to have that extremely narrow depth of field. Now, obviously, this is 35 millimeter. It gets even narrower when you jump up to medium format. But, uh, but yeah, that was my, my first takeaway. And the second was um, just really enjoying the the feel of the olympus uh for a relatively small camera uh it had a real heft to it you know definitely not a light small camera a little bit of a chunky feel uh in terms of the weight it was very intuitive when it came to exposure stuff so it just had a simple needle inside that would bounce around so if it was uh the needle went up to the little plus button, you were overexposing it. If the needle was down below or a little minus, you were underexposing. And yeah, if you got it in the between, you should be uh, good to go. I had uh, access to you know the internet at the time, which let me know that, hey, there are no more mercury batteries for this guy. But if you did a little research, you could find a similar battery that I think was used for hearing aids. And even though it wasn't the right size, you could just cut something to help it stay in the camera. And that more or less was my method of using a, um, a non-mercury battery for many, many years. I, I used to have to sometimes sort of tap the bottom of the camera, kind of like uh, knuckle it a little bit to make sure it was making a contact. Sometimes I would turn the metering, sometimes I would turn the metering on and the needle wouldn't move at all. So I'd kind of just give it a little hammer with my knuckle and oh well, there now it is now it's working. And yeah, the metering was pretty good. I don't remember uh, struggling with the metering at all. The other part that I don't think I was quite aware of yet, but I would become aware of very quickly, uh, was just the the unusual placement of the apertures. The, the f-stop ring was at the uh, closest part of the lens, kind of like the front of the lens is where you would turn the uh, the f-stops. Uh, that was still a little strange, and um, and yeah, it was it was pretty good to go camera. I, I wasn't in any way at the time aware of what the lens quality was. Uh, I knew the body was pretty beat up, but in a good way, it still seemed to function. And I literally had no problems um, with the body. Uh, I never had light leaks. I never had the shutter jam up on me. The incredibly uh, beat up looking camera, uh, as far as functionality went, uh, was just fine. The lens probably had some beginning signs of, uh, of, 
stuff going on. I, I, you know, I think I became more aware down the road that the lens uh, may not have been the most uh, excellent quality in terms of dust or possibly even beginning some fog. But the, the early shots uh, were pretty successful. What I was doing as well was I was using black and white C41 film. Uh, at the time, I believe it was it was a Kodak variation. I don't think I was using Fuji. Uh, and I'm sorry, using uh, I don't think I was using Ilford in, in any way. I think I, most of my films were either Fuji or uh, or Kodak. Yeah, I just looked it up. It was a film that's no longer available. Uh, Kodak has killed this one, but uh, it was a terrific film. It was called the uh, Kodak BW or Black and White BW 400CN. Uh, CN, yeah, and that was a, a really fun film to work with. I uh, used to take that film with me um, once I finally got some wheels at the time because there, there was a brief period between uh, 2004, 2005, 2006 where I relied entirely on public transportation on a bicycle uh, and then finally found a, a cheap used motorcycle because so I could actually get around and yeah that would be kind of my road trip i would get on my 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 motorcycle and have my olympus om1 loaded with the black and white c41 film and yeah i would take off on some road trips uh typically heading at that time since i was living in you know camden county i would i would head to the shore uh via what was it i guess uh i guess 70 uh, i would take all the way down to the shore typically i would head to um, through the Pine Barrens and, and uh, as if I was going to Long Beach Island, you know, LBI. So, yeah, my early years with the OM-1 uh, pretty much consisted of uh, 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, 2008, <clears throat> kind of left my job, went on a little, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, went on a little road trip and uh, talk, uh, took with me the, uh, the, the OM-1. It was still hanging in there and uh, it got banged around quite a few times. Uh, I managed uh, to stumble my way through a couple of different uh, countries at the time. Uh, it was kind of like a, you know, I sort of had this idea that now I'm in my mid-40s and maybe I need a little bit of a serious break, uh, rethink where I want to live, rethink what I want to do. And I had been saving up some money since, of course, I wasn't spending anything on a car at the time. Um, and yeah, just, that was a lot. <laughs> when I'm looking back on it, it really wasn't a lot of money at all. But I figured I could, yeah, maybe maybe fall into teaching overseas, uh, finding some kind of gig, um, whether it was Japan or Thailand uh, or maybe going back to Israel. Uh, either way, I figured I would get on the road and, and try something out. And uh, yeah, that was... Um, <laughs> an interesting trip. Uh, but yeah, I had the own one with me the whole way. Uh, had a cheap digital camera too at the time, probably like a, a one megapixel wonder or something. Um, but yeah, I did manage to fly with the OM-1, throw it in my bag, uh, go through a couple of airports with it, and and get the film developed locally. So, uh, um, so yeah, still have some shots left from that camera. So now it is, uh, you know, it, but it's one of those things where uh, once I kind of got back into the journey, uh, I still held on to shooting with the OM-1. By this time, by, by 2008, 9, 10, 11, uh, I think I had just had a huge sentimental attachment to it. You know, this was, this was a camera that just hung in there with me, was still somehow working. And, uh, and yet... Yeah, I was getting pulled in the direction of uh, of digital. You know, this was the 
the time when I got my first really serious digital camera, the D200, and I was just blown away by how many things you could do with that. Um, and slowly, the the fun of shooting film kind of started falling apart. Uh, there were no longer any local labs that would develop it. Target was way out of the picture. They stopped doing uh, development. And, and yeah, so the, the journey began to end with the Olympus OM-1. As, uh, as a big part of this podcast, um, the, re, um, the resurgence of going analog, that, that would occur a couple years later when I got my... Uh, Got back into Nikon and the F3 and the 105, and and being able to suddenly embrace home development. So so yeah, those that sort of package of uh, I'm going to jump back into film. I'm going to develop it myself. I'm going to get a uh, you know get back to um, something comparable you know in terms of what I was using at the time. Um, so all these things kind of uh, occurred, and and the Olympus just sort of fell out of favor with me to the point where finally I I took a good look at the lens. I'm like, I can't believe I'm still using this thing. The lens was just shot. Uh, and then I started noticing the body um, was maybe just from sitting in the drawer so long or what have you. Um, uh, one day I just went to open the back uh, or take a peek at the mirror and, and all the all the foam had just started decaying and, and sort of crumbling inside. Um, so yeah, it, it, it went from kind of like a sentimental camera to hold on to, to eventually a camera that was not really working well unless I wanted to throw uh, some time and effort, perhaps money in getting it CLA. Um, and same thing with the lens. It seemed uh, a bit hopeless because it was, it was not looking too good. So the reason I wanted to take this look back at the OM-1 and the 50 was, well, hey, this is the beginning of the classic 70s lenses and the classic 70s cameras. You know, during the podcast, I have gone over the Minolta 70s cameras. I've gone over the Fujica uh, or Fujicon cameras, you know. And but one thing I haven't done is I have not had any huge urge to go back on eBay and get another OM-1 or perhaps look into their more electronic versions like the OM-2 or the OM-4. Uh, and I and I realized the other day, like that's kind of interesting, you know, like a camera that really helps set the journey uh, up for me, understanding manual uh, uh, focus, understanding all the differences between relying on this f-stop versus that f-stop, controlling the shutter better, always having to set up the the shot with um, with your hands. You know, nothing was automated on that camera whatsoever. There was no aperture priority. It was all about just sort of learning the basics of photography. Um, and always being aware of Olympus having a, a great reputation for, for lenses. And as I mentioned just earlier, I, I never had bought a 28. I never bought a 35. I had never experimented with uh, any of their legendary uh, F2 lenses, uh, let alone, you know, like their, their longer primes. So why didn't I ever really want to get back in uh, if, uh, if Olympus and OM1s were, were so cool? I think it really just comes down to... Um, Although it was a fun experience shooting with it, I don't think it was extremely fun in any way. And and I think I'm so much more aware now of the cameras that do give you that feel of uh, of, of it being more than just fun to use. So, for example, um, 
with the previous episodes, the trip down to Wildwood, uh, I was out there with my Nikkor mat and the nice 105 Prime. I had that wrapped around my neck, and in my hand, I had the Barnack Leica, you know, the poor man's Leica, uh, the one you can, you know, seriously, you have to work for under a fortune, you know. And every time I took a shot with either one of those cameras, it was just a fun extremely fun experience like there was just this little kind of twinkle uh of uh of extra fun uh just holding it just using it just just you know advancing the shutters particularly on the leica uh, just listening to the the click of the shutter and uh and again with the with the nicker man and that 105 lens uh just seeing uh that that wonderful um uh, that wonderful, almost 3D effect of looking through that lens. So I think what's that's really, I think, what separated uh, these these cameras from the OM-1 experience. I don't think in any way that the OM-1 uh, kind of just shouted out, hey, this is just so much fun to, fun to use. Um, and and uh, I think there's, that's an, there's an important feature to that. Uh, this is also a topic that... Um, that was brought up uh, by Johnny Sisson on the Classic Lenses podcast, uh, I think one or two podcasts ago, which was uh, on their never-ending argument about should they shoot Fuji Digital or should they shoot Sony uh, or should they just use uh, great uh, classic film cameras to use their classic lenses on. Um, the conversation did go back to, well, life's short and, and how much fun are you really having um, the, with the actual experience of holding the camera, using the camera, um, and and going out and shooting with the camera, and and I think that's that's where I am right now. I th- I think you know not to say I'm falling into the like a cult, but if I had to pick a 35 millimeter, uh, that is still over and over and over and over consistently extremely fun to use. Yeah, I'd <clears throat> I'd have to pick my Leica 3A, which of course is way more fun because it finally got CLA'd. So that's another. Uh, gotcha too. Uh, you, you can go out on eBay and, and find a $200 body uh, of a C, of a, uh, like a 3 or like a 3A or, you know, maybe a like a 3C. But if it's, uh, if it's hard to focus, if that range uh, finder patch is, is very dim, uh, yeah, that's not going to come up. You know, that's not really going to be that fun to shoot. Uh, it, you, you know, might be fun to look at, maybe fun to hold, maybe fun to listen to. But actually getting your shot in focus, if, if that's painful, uh, then yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's not the experience. But, but what's all come together for me is, uh, is yeah, I got that body fixed, uh, uh, I guess more than a year ago, um, by Yuxin Yi. And, and for, for a 35 millimeter experience, that is absolutely the most fun camera I have right now to shoot. Um, with a knicker mat, um, I'm kind of undecided. I don't know if it's the knicker mat that I'm having so much fun with, or is it just that, that classic Chrome 105 lens? I, I think it's more that lens, um, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe if I had a classic uh, F uh, one, you know, or whatever <laughs> they just called the classic F camera, uh, maybe that would be a little bit more of an edge than the Nikkor map. But yeah, I think in running order, if I had to shoot 35 millimeter right now, uh, over and over and over and over again, I would love to just grab the the Leica, which 
makes a big difference. I, I think in the end, uh, what's going to help you have fun with your analog gear and really justify uh, any investments you do in it is going to be, is there an extra amount of excitement about it? Um, so yeah, you know, going back to where, where this podcast began last summer and into the fall, um, I did explore, Hey, it's pretty easy to find a, a classic Minolta out there. It's pretty easy to find a classic Fujica. Um, it's not so hard to find a working OM one. Um, but you know, I think I'm heading into the ground now where if I had to truly recommend an analog camera, um, that you're going to, that at least from, from my experience that you're going to just want to use over and over and over again, I'm starting to lean back to Leica, uh, which is a dangerous thing to admit, <laughs> you know, cause I, I used to always be dumbfounded by people and their freaking Leicas, you know, and how much money they cost and how much the, there's this sort of annoying hipster factor to it or cool factor. Um, but I'm kind of getting it now. Like in the end, what makes you want to go out and shoot medium format? What makes you want to go out and shoot 35? What, what really completes the whole journey of wanting to shoot analog? Um, and yeah, the experience itself is a huge part of the, uh, the equation. How much fun are you having just doing the shoot, just going out on a walk around for street photography, or just going out and looking for something fun to shoot um, in other, another realms, you know, whether it's portrait or landscape. So anyway, that's a wrap uh, on today's podcast. Uh, a little look back at the OM-1 and the uh, Soiko uh, 50. I will be posting some photos online uh, of some of my... Uh, some of my shots from, from this classic camera, you know, the 35mm SLR Olympus OM system. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't want to knock Olympus. And, uh, and who knows, maybe I never really got the perfect experience because I never really expanded uh, out to some of their more truly legendary lenses. Um, but, yeah, I'm not knocking it, but I do appreciate where it really helped me on the journey. Uh, I think without it, I would have been very... Um, very lost in some ways when it came to getting my first digital camera. Um, I, I think it had really, really grounded me. Like, you know, for years now, um, anytime I run into somebody um, who's interested in learning about photography or who's still a little bit confused about the so-called triangle of uh, ISO and shutter and f-stop, I'm always like, just get a manual camera and play around with it for a while. Learn, learn, the, learn how they all relate. And, and for me, that was the only one. So anyway, uh, thanks guys for listening again. This is Charles, um, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Bring It All Back Home.